Hello, and welcome to the Land Party Lawyers podcast, where we tackle issues at the intersection of video games, law, and business. I'm Nick Brown. And I'm Steve Blickensdurfer. And we are your hosts. We are lawyers at the firm of Carlton Fields who represent gamers and companies in the gaming space. That's right. Today, we're going to talk about artificial intelligence in gaming. And with us, we're so excited to have Pedro Pavone, Assistant General Counsel at Honeywell and a thought leader in artificial intelligence. But before we get going, we need to remind everyone once again that nothing we say here is legal advice. So, Nick, when I think of artificial intelligence, I immediately go back to Terminator 2 and Skynet. So what you is, and me both. <laughs> so when we think about artificial intelligence, dumbed-down version, what is it? It's machine intelligence. It's machine learning. These days, deep learning. Um, we Examples include IBM's Watson, who won Jeopardy in 2011. A lot uh, of people have won Jeopardy. Have you won Jeopardy? Not yet. So Watson's got one up on you. Uh, in that regard. So Watson used natural language processing and analytics on vast repositories of data that it processed to answer human post questions. But there's other types of AI. like I think technically it gave questions, right? This is Jeopardy we're talking about. That, well... You got me there. Nice zing. Uh, there, there's also like Google's AI, DeepMind, which um, uses conventional neural networks uh, based on the brain's neural networks to teach itself through reinforced learning. Um, the next question that I have, so now we, we've got what AI is out of the way. Why is it a big deal for gamers? Or better yet, why is gaming a big deal for AI? Well, AI has really come a long way over time. Uh, it, it started, you know, back in 1952, they got AI to win a game of tic-tac-toe. Uh, a few years later, you know, the, the computers won at Backgammon in 1979. In 1995, they got Connect Four. In 1997, they got Chess. In 2015, they got the ancient Chinese strategy game Go. Uh, heads up, no look, hold them in 2017. And as Steve's going to explain in a minute, uh, it actually mastered one of my favorite all-time games, StarCraft II, recently. That's right. Uh, AI really upped its game when it beat, when it when it tackled StarCraft II. Uh, it recently played it, being AI, recently played StarCraft II and beat professional gamers, and not just beat them, beat them like single-handedly beat them. Ten, ten to one. Ten and one record against pros. Okay, and we're talking about Google's project AlphaStar, which is the first AI to develop, or to defeat, rather, top pro StarCraft II players. And they played uh, players on Team Liquid, Mana, and TLO. Also notable in 2017, Elon Musk's AI, OpenAI, uh, beat a Dota 2 player at the big esports competition for Dota 2, the International. So Alpha, Alpha Star is, is really fascinating in that in this particular instance, after the games were played and the metrics were measured, Alpha Star actually had a slower than human reaction time and took fewer actions per minute than the pros. And it instead, and it won uh, by employing a variety of strategies demonstrating- Deep strategies. Deep neural network strategies, demonstrating an understanding of stealth and scouting aspects of the game, pressing an advantage when it had one and retreating from ill-advised ones uh, fights. It was, it was really fun to watch. Now, you know, one of the differences here and why this is different than some of the other games is that StarCraft is an incredibly complex game. That's not to say chess and go aren't. But the difference here is that StarCraft, you've got imperfect information, you've got to move the camera around, you've got a million decisions to make in the course of a game. 
A game can be five minutes, it can be an hour long, but the number, the decision tree just expands exponentially because of all the options available to you. You're not just picking one move. You're not just moving one piece or placing one tile. And the way they got the AI to uh, practice and get so good was they simulated over 200 years, actually, of StarCraft games, just played over and over again, uh, which, as I understand it, is a little bit longer than StarCraft's actually been out. Mm -hmm. But the computers were able to learn that they could uh, get better at the game, and they ended up, as we said, beating the pros 10 to 1. Other reasons why AI is a big deal, uh, you know, we're constantly hearing that AI is going to replace jobs and upset industries. And we're obviously working in one where AI is going to threaten jobs, and that's in the legal industry with legal research and, and things that AI can increasingly do, uh, also in the, in the medical field as well. So it, it's this AI beating StarCraft II pro players is more of a big deal in the sense that it signals a turning point for AI and how it can problem solve because StarCraft II is about complex problem solving in, in, in an imperfect environment with imperfect information where there's lots of objects and choices and micro actions and fast-paced human AI. And if it can do that, then that means, logically, it would pave the way to unlock novel solutions outside of gaming to world's serious problems with science, with political problems, uh, all sorts of things, climate issues that you wouldn't normally expect AI to handle, uh, at least not long ago. And I'd be remiss before we move on, that, you know, there's other instances of the video game industry getting in with, with artificial intelligence, and that's NVIDIA's partnering with Baidu, the, the Chinese company, uh, to use AI to create a cloud-to-car autonomous car platform uh, for autom automobile manufacturers. So at this point, I'd like to switch gears, and I am so pleased and, and happy that uh, we have for our interview today, Pedro Pavone, who is Assistant General Counsel at Honeywell, who has practiced in the AI and IoT space for several years. So Pedro, welcome to the podcast. Why don't you just tell us about yourself? Hey, what's up, guys? Thanks for having me. Um, well, like I think you said all the relevant pieces. Uh, I'm an attorney. I've been working in this space for some time, uh, mostly in-house, but I did spend uh, a few years at a, at a law firm before that. And, you know, a lot of lawyers out there say they work in AI. But what does that really mean? Well, for me, it means I get to work with development teams and, and product teams uh, that are building AI capability on the back end, creating functionality on the front end. And that's fancy talk for really smart guys who know a lot of math who create solutions based on machine learning, artificial intelligence, and uh, and neural networks. So that's what I do, and I think that's why you invited me here. So thanks for having me. That's right. Thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, and that sounds really exciting uh, to me, uh, who I do not know a whole bunch about AI. So can you tell us what most excites you about the current state of artificial intelligence? Well, it's funny because, you know, I'm not a technical, I don't, I don't have a technical background. I'm a lawyer. Um, and so if you ask that question, I think to uh, an engineer, they, they might answer differently than I'm going to. But what excites me the most about the current state of affairs around AI is just how much attention it's finally getting. Uh, you mentioned in your remarks, I was listening in earlier that, uh, you know, AI, the math for AI has been around since the 1950s. And it's but it's really been in the last couple of years uh, that AI has has hit the mainstream in a big way, meaning there's a lot of products out there advertising that they're driven by AI, and there's a lot of consumer interest in, in using the technology to make their life easier. So for me, what's 
most excites me about it is that we're finally going from a kind of technical engineering uh, exploration phase to an adoption phase, uh, meaning people are interacting with AIs uh, every day, whether they know it or not. So that, that's what I find most exciting. So if, if that's exciting to you, what most scares you about the current state of AI? I'm interested to hear your, your thoughts on this. Yeah, well, it's funny because the same thing that gets me excited kind of is, is a little scary, right? Uh, so there's widespread adoption. And when we think of AI kind of in the general sense, uh, we, we think of, of solutions like, you know, Amazon's Alexa or Siri, or in the case of this podcast, we're talking about how AIs are being used uh, in video games. Uh, but there's some other less, or let's say more nefarious applications that are also uh, uh, starting to get some attention. Uh, and one of them to me uh, is like lethal autonomous weapon systems. You talked about Terminator 2 at the beginning. Well, that might not be a reality, uh, but yet, but yet. there is uh, <laughs> uh, the capability already exists for autonomous weapon systems to make battlefield decisions without human interaction. And uh, that's a little scary to me. I think autonomous vehicles present a lot of great benefits, but also will create uh, some confusion uh, uh, when when they're adopted more widely. And so the speed at which AI is getting adopted in some use cases, I think is exciting and going to be fantastic. In other use cases, I think we need to be a little bit cautious and um, and make sure we don't we don't put something into play that that gets out of hand quickly. That uh, autonomous weapon thing sounds to me a little bit like StarCraft, right? Yeah. Uh, you're going to see these battles, but they're going to be taking place from the wrong perspective. Yeah, yeah. You could use the same program that what AlphaStar could be put into a, a tank and, you know, know what to do and where to go, where to shoot. It's, that is a very scary proposition. Yeah, yeah. I, I, think, I think the technology exists. Now, it's just a matter of trying to figure out um, what the right thing to do is. And as you guys know, the right thing uh, varies depending on who you ask, so it'll be interesting. And that's and, and that's why you need lawyers, right, right, Pedro? Uh, I, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, tell us, Pedro, uh, what's the last game that you've played, video game, and how do you think you'd do against AI playing that game? Uh, I play a lot of Forza. You know, it's a racing game on, uh, yeah. on my Xbox. Forza Horizon is the last game. I thought I'm actually. Uh, sitting pretty close to my Xbox now. So uh, I, I played it last night. Um, how do I do against AIs? Well, I can tell you that the, uh, the AI, the mini AIs built into the game uh, can kick my butt if I put them on too uh, advanced or too skilled of a setting. Um, but I tend to do better against uh, the AIs than I do against uh, really skilled uh, kids and human beings who are amazing at that game. But I play a lot of Forza and it's fun. So we still, we as humans still have the advantage in that uh, respect, at least for the time being? Well, at least insofar as what Microsoft has decided to build into the game, right? I mean, what you guys are talking about with 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 uh, with the topic today is a little bit more complicated because someone really built an AI to beat humans. I think a lot of the AIs built into video games now, while yes, it's to make the game competitive and, and, and challenging, it also kind of helps you learn the game, right? Right. Um, I don't think that's the purpose of the AI you guys are talking about. So w what do you think if uh, if they put the fancy AI, the deep, deep learning neural network on Forza and put that up against some of the best top esports players and televise that? Who do you think would win in something like that? Are we, are we still ahead or would we see something like a StarCraft II situation? Man, I got to tell you, in, in my experience, just uh, watching the development of AI in all sorts of use cases and applications, 
When an AI gets its task right, meaning it understands what its goals are, it has enough data and enough processing power to pursue those goals. Usually, if the goals are simple enough, they will beat humans, right? And I think you gave a bunch of examples in the video game context, uh, but there's more like office assistants just can do things more quickly than people. And even in the medical field, you know, AI assistance and surgery and, and, and other medical applications are just faster, better, make less mistakes. Um, so if you cranked up an AI on Forza and trained it to race those cars really well, my suspicion is that uh, it'd be really tough for the very best folks to beat it. But I, I guess we'd have to, you know, we'd have to, they'd have to race. That's why we watch the competitions. That's why they got to race. It sounds to me like driverless cars, which I know, I know. Uh, are supposed to be on the way someday soon, too. Driverless cars on my Xbox. I can tell you that right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, Pedro, what does the Alpha Star, and I, I'm not, you know, maybe reading as much into the artificial intelligence, you know, community and industry engineer side of things, but what does the Alpha Star project, and it, the the AI beating the pros at a, such a richly complicated game like StarCraft II tell you about the development and where we are in terms of, are we like, did we turn a corner with AI with that? Is that like a, a Stuxnet kind of thing where it's like a brave new world for AI? Yeah, you know, I'm not so sure. And and I think the reason for that is in the specific case uh, with AlphaStar, I, and I and look, I, I'll speak as a non-technologist, but my understanding is that the AlphaStar AI had the ability to see the entire playing field the entire time. And that's not something that the human can do. Um, and so if they're playing under a set of different rules and the rules for AlphaStar have some advantage, I'm not sure that that's fair, right? And it seemed to me like when they... When they made the Alpha Star have to scroll around and only see the same amount of the battlefield that the humans could, the humans did much better. So, insofar as whether we have turned, uh, you know, made the treacherous turn, I, I, I'm not sure. Mm -hmm. But what I can say is, uh, again, when you give an AI a task, if you give it enough data and enough time to learn from that data, and it has the processing power it needs to fulfill its goals, it's going to do it at a really high level. And the fact that we're talking about a primitive AI or a, or a let's just say an alpha stage AI, I'm sure that's why they call it alpha star, um, uh, but a first level development of an AI in this particular application already beating the masters, not just mm -hmm. your ordinary players, you know, that tells me that the capabilities after uh, 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 maybe some more tweaking of the AI are going to be tremendous. So I'm not sure that we've, you know, crossed the event horizon, if you will, but I, I think we are definitely on the path to uh, see AIs in particular in the gaming application far exceed the abilities of even the best human players. And, and I don't think that that's too far off. Yeah. Well, I'm glad to hear that we're not quite at Skynet yet. Uh, uh, so. What is the limiting? Yeah. What is the limiting factor here? Is it uh, available data? Is it processing power? Is it just financial resources or are, you know, prohibitively? expensive to to run this type of thing what what's holding it back why aren't we there yet well i don't think we're you know skynet if you think about what something like skynet is you know it's a sensational artificial intelligence that is autonomous has general intelligence meaning it can conceive of and consider multiple issues at the same time and problem solve them all simultaneously and uh uh, you know, make predictions about behavior and do all of these things. You know, we're nowhere near some type of technological development of that level, like an, a general super intelligence. Um, we're several scales behind that. What, what, what I think we're going to continue to see is AIs really become 
more effective and more efficient in, in single track uses, like very, very uh, narrowly defined goals with very clear objectives. The AIs are already faster than us at most of these things. When they're simple tasks, we will be able to add some complexity. You ask what's holding us back. I, th I think it's a bunch of things. One, I just don't think we have the substrate, meaning like I don't think the silicone chips that all of our computers run on have the capability to process as much information as our brains do, you know, in a, in a second or in a millisecond. And I don't think that that's going to happen anytime soon. So I think processing power is a limitation. And then, um, you know, I, the other thing is human creativity is a limitation. At the end of the day, humans are the ones building these AIs. When we get to a place where AIs are building other AIs, That's what, meaning you yeah. develop an AI that is really good at building artificial intelligence capability. Um, I think that's when we'll see things scale because like we've said before, like I've said before, and you guys have said at the beginning, you know, AIs are going to be much faster and more efficient than us uh, uh, at those types of activities. So when we have an AI that can build AI, that's when I think we'll turn that corner. That's when I move to the mountains of West Virginia and bunker down for the apocalypse <laughs> when that happens. <laughs> Give me a call when you do that. Yeah. And last question, Pedro. What would you say, as a lawyer uh, working in AI, are some of the biggest challenges from a legal perspective to maybe the development or implementation of AI? Yeah, I think there's a few. Um, you know, the first one is it, it's right now the 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 AI development. You know, the, like I said, I think we're in an adoption phase, not so much of a development phase. I mean, they're both happening, but we're really turning the corner into adopting technology that's been around for some time. Um, however, uh, applying the current legal framework to some of these AI use cases is, is proving to be pretty difficult. You want to talk about stopping development? Well, there was a car accident in Arizona a bit back uh, where someone was uh, killed um, and that stopped research in Arizona of autonomous vehicles, right? This I read about was that. Killed. I remember that. Yeah. A woman was killed by an autonomous, in a, in a, in a car accident with an autonomous vehicle. And um, essentially the vehicles had to come off the road. That's not going to help development. Now, hopefully we don't see any more tragic issues, but uh, there are several uh, other examples out there of um, some AI in a, in, a, in a development phase that needs to be halted because uh, something really bad happens. Now, we can move beyond the actual accident and say, okay, well, there was this accident that harmed this person and it was an autonomous vehicle. Well, if the autonomous vehicle is at fault, well, who do we hold responsible for the accident? If two humans are in a car accident, are in car accident with each other, um, we have an entire legal framework that's been developed since the beginning, uh, since the invention of cars, that help us determine who's liable. You know what the consequences are, what the you know what the what what you might owe somebody. You know, it's whatever. Um, there's an entire insurance industry built around it. None of this exists in the context of autonomous. Uh, vehicles or autonomous machines. And I think we're going to have to do some really hard thinking there. Uh, another area where I think the, the law and AI are in some tension is in uh, going back to the beginning here, like lethal autonomous weapon systems and the application of AI in the, in the military context on the, on the battlefield. You know, the rules of engagement uh, for war are, are complicated and been around for some time. And and incorporating these technologies, which nation states and rogue actors will no doubt use going forward, is, is going to be tricky. So um, those are two areas that, that, that come to mind to me. The big one, I mean, uh, uh, that is front and center, and I saved it for last because it's the one that I think about the most, is how all of this is going to affect 
are human rights, uh, and I'm talking about the human beings, yeah. right? And uh, you know, mm-hmm. I'm a privacy lawyer. Uh, you know, at least I try to call myself one. And I think about all the privacy implications of uh, you know the increased use of AI technology in our everyday lives, right? Uh, we know for sure that to build a good AI and for it to be helpful, it needs to collect and analyze a lot of data. And in the video game context, you mentioned that uh, that AI studied 200 years worth of gaming um, to get really good at um, at beating people. Well, you know, let's change it to a medical context where AIs have to have access to sweeping amounts of, uh, of medical data to become excellent or become even functional in a task, um, the privacy implications of that are, are very significant. And you don't need to look any further than China, where China is essentially building a surveillance state that monitors its citizens 24-7 um, to advance its AI capabilities. And really in the context of, of security and, and for political reasons, you see it a lot in China, but also um, to create cool, fun commercial applications that people love. The challenge is that once the data has been processed and the AI has drawn signal from that data, you can delete the original data and the AI now has this cool capability, um, but the AI can't forget the things that it learns, right? So if it collects right. a bunch of data about me um, and then it decides that I'm a high risk for, you know, let's say uh, cancer, uh, you could delete all the data that it used to make that conclusion, but the conclusion has been made and now it's out there. And that's not my data necessarily under the current legal framework. And it'll be interesting to see what companies and, and you know, governments are allowed to do with the insights that AI are going to bring to the table in the coming years. So privacy is a big one for me. Yeah. Lethal autonomous weapon systems are, are as well. I'm guessing they don't have HIPAA in China, do they? Uh, you know, they've got a lot of things in China, uh, but I don't, <laughs> think they, I don't think they have HIPAA. Yeah. Well, if we could take a takeaway from, from this conversation, I would say, you know, AI is not going anywhere. Uh, it is here to stay, and we have to figure out a way to uh, put these regulations in, or, or to, to maybe rethink the regulations and, and how we're implementing uh, AI. And obviously, Pedro, the privacy challenges that you've identified, they're huge. And we're obviously struggling trying to figure out privacy uh, without AI. And then you add in AI to the mix, and it just uh, it's super complicated. But um, that's why they need lawyers. Yeah, now here we'll help. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much for being with us today. That's fascinating. And we appreciate your insight on these uh, cutting edge issues. Hey, guys, thanks for having me. Thank you, Pedro. That's all we have for today's podcast. Be on the lookout for other podcasts on season one of Land Party Lawyers. And until next time. Game on. Game on. You've been listening to the Land Party Lawyers podcast series with Steve Blickensturfer and Nick Brown. To learn more about our e-gaming and e-sports practice, visit carltonfields.com. This podcast is intended for general information and educational purposes only and should not be relied on as if it were advice about a particular fact situation. The distribution of this podcast is not intended to create and receipt of it does not constitute an attorney-client relationship with Carlton Fields. Thanks for listening.